go ahead and get started here. Uh, again, I'll <clears throat> try to be pretty good about starting on time. Uh, I know we lost a little momentum this summer when Thomas was here, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to be rec- recording it. Yeah, uh, and uh, I am going to record them each week and uh, get uh, Mark Reed to put them on the uh, the site again. So if somebody misses a week and and wants to uh, catch up, uh, feel free. Let me have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank You now just for the blessing of being able to call You Father. To know that we have been born into Your family by way of the new birth. And Lord, we thank You just for the abundance that You have showered upon us by Your grace. And yet, Lord, it is so easy for us to go through life never really grasping all that has been ours since the moment of salvation. Lord, we pray that as we embark on this study of the principles of spiritual growth, that your Holy Spirit will guide us. I know through the summer, Lord, that Joe and I have been praying that you would bring out those men and women whose hearts you have prepared because over the years we've seen that your preparation is so critical. But Lord, I pray that the ones that come out will be ministered to by these truths. And Lord, that it will bring, these truths will bring some real um, growth into their lives. So now, Lord, we just want to commit uh, not only today's uh, time together, but the future weeks as we move forward through these incredible principles. And Lord, we just look forward to seeing you work. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to get Jonelle to give out books to anybody that needs one. We hopefully got enough books for everyone, and that means... uh, you know, if you're a couple and you have one book, you can get another book because it's good for everybody to have a, have a book. We're going to be, uh, as we go through this uh, study, you know, we'll be looking at each chapter and kind of going through it together. And uh, so if you have a book, it will greatly help. Plus, you'll get... I mean, you can get a lot out of this just by coming on Sunday and us going through it together. But you'll get even more out of it if you read a chapter during the week and really take some time to reflect on it and think about it. And any questions that you might have, bring with you. I'm more than happy to field any questions you have. I may not always have the answer, but I... There is one answer I can always give you, and that is I don't know. <laughs> and I'm not afraid at times to do that or to say, hey, I'll, I'll uh, research it out and get back to you. Uh, for those of you who do prefer to deal with things on a computer, uh, the PDFs can be found for free on, uh, on the Internet. Uh, I think Justin uh, downloaded... Oh, no, it wasn't Justin. It was uh, Brandon uh, d- downloaded the PDF uh, off of uh, the uh, 
internet. So it is available out there. Now, the study we're taking on is principles of spiritual growth, which is also known as, uh, if I can get my thing to move forward. Well, this is off to a good start. I got. Let's see if I can get that out of the way. Oop, let's go back there. Also known as the Green Letters. And Green Letters was the original title for the book. But over time, because this title didn't mean anything to a lot of people, uh, they added the title, The Principles of Spiritual Growth. The original title was drawn from the fact that Miles Stanford, the one who basically compiled this, and I say compiled it because you'll see as you read through it, it's a lot of quotes. (laughs) And the, the Lord really gifted the man in drawing from a lot of the writings of men and women that the Lord has used over the past several hundred years, drawing from their writings and pulling it together. And, you know, I think one of the things that I value about this book is that this is not one man's opinion. I get kind of nervous sometimes when, when it's one guy's idea, you know. This is, he's discovered the secret, you know, and he's going to reveal the secret to us. I get a bit nervous about that. But what you find as we go through this book is that many men and women that God clearly has used have come to the same conclusions. They've, uh, and and that to me gives merit to what uh, is being taught uh, in, in this book. Now, because of, because he draws from the writings of a lot of men and women over the past several hundred years, I will forewarn you that some of the language at times uh, is a little what we would call archaic. (laughs) Uh, It's older language. It uh, may very well develop some of your vocabularies uh, (laughs) as we go along. uh, thankfully, with Google, you can Google the, uh, the definitions of words you don't know and find them pretty quickly. Uh, so I, I will let you know that, that there are going to be, uh, it's gonna, some of it's going to be older style writings. But they have great value. And, and over the years, I've come to value more and more a lot of the older writers. My uh, nephew, who's going to Dallas Theological, working on his doctorate, he made an observation one day. He said, you know, a lot of these older writers, they had to really know the Scriptures. They didn't have a computer where they could search out and, and look for, you know, passages on this. When they wrote... They wrote from what they knew of the Scriptures because they had studied the Scriptures so diligently that they knew the Scriptures. And he said it's so easy nowadays for somebody 
to get by not having to study like that because man we pull up our our, our word search on our on our computer and 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 we pull up uh, you know what this guy says and that guy says but we don't have to really know the scriptures and so you take you know these men who wrote before the computer age and there were men who really, really knew the Scriptures. They knew them by heart. Uh, and they wrote from that. And so, there's so much for us to learn from a lot of these older writers who lived their lives in the Word of God and knew it so very vastly, uh, deeply. So, you know, Miles was a man who... who's. Actually, from what I understand, at one point in his life, he set everything aside, and for like a year, he worked as a dishwasher in a restaurant so that he could have time to read and study. He devoted all of his time when he wasn't washing dishes to studying. And the Lord gave this man some unbelievable insights that have helped countless individuals down through the years. Now the title Green Letters, the original title for the book, came from the fact that they started out actually as letters. He had a number of people on a mailing list, and each of these chapters was a letter that he sent out. Uh, to those on his mailing list. And because the letters deal, uh, dealt with spiritual growth, from what I understand, he printed them on green paper. Uh, and they were his green letters. And at some point, it was decided to take the green letters and assemble them together into a book. And that's what was done. And it has been used by many other, uh, you know, uh, to bless many others down through the years. Now, all the way up till his death, Miles had quite a um, ministry just in communicating with people. In the latter uh, years of my li- uh, my dad's life, he he wrote extensively back and forth uh, with Miles on email. In fact, after my dad went to be with the Lord, my mom got a really precious letter from him, uh, from his, uh, from him that, that said, I, I had always thought that Dick would be in the presence of the, I mean, I would be in the presence of the Lord when Dick came home and would be there to greet him. He's going to be there to greet me now. And so they became, over the email, really precious friends. Uh, encouraging each other in the Lord. So that's the man that the Lord used to put this book together. Now, I know Thomas is the book salesman in this church. Uh, always has a bunch of books. To, but I'm going to, personally, I'm going to say, besides the Bible, there are two books that have most influenced my Christian life. One is this little book, Disciplined by Grace, by J.F. Strombeck. This book is what opened my eyes to begin to understand how God's grace is working to develop us. 
And the word disciplined here isn't, doesn't have to do with chastisement. It has to do with child raising. Developing a discipline in us. And he goes to show how God doesn't use the law to develop us. He uses his grace to develop us. This book altered my understanding of grace substantially. I actually, seeing it as important as it was, I used it as an alternative uh, assignment for my students. Those who wanted to read it, I'd let them uh, skip one written assignment and one reading assignment. And I had a lot of students read it. I actually bought 20 copies of it so I could loan them out threaten them with their lives. I wasn't real gracious about if they didn't return my books. Uh, <laughs> I kind of used that passage in Revelation where uh, Christ told the, the church, he's, he said, I, I have a two-edged sword and I know where you live. Uh, <laughs> I might be punctuating it differently than it was in Revelation, but... Uh, Managed to uh, for all for fifteen years there. I managed to keep all my books, <laughs> but uh, but you don't know how many students I had tell me at the end how this had impacted them, that how it had so deepened their understanding of the grace of God. In fact, a number of them said you really ought to make it required reading, which I probably would have done if the book would, was still on the market. Uh, and You have to get it through used book dealers. Uh, and PDF is available too. So, uh, Because everybody couldn't just get one easily, I kind of limited it to those who wanted to see it. But again, that's one book that changed my life. The other one is the Green Letters. Now this is the complete Green Letters. Um, the letters of Miles Stanford originally were divided into five different books. Uh, you had uh, the principles of spiritual growth. You had the ground of growth. You had the reckoning that counts. Uh, abide above, and I'm missing one of them. Uh, but uh, and originally they were sold as five separate books. Now you can only get the principles of spiritual growth as an individual book. The rest come uh, in in this form. Uh, it's been published a number of times. Uh, a number of different people have written the forewords to these books. A lot of different men that the Lord has used have spoken highly of both these works and the impact it had in their lives. So, you know, I'm, we're going to be taking on one of these books, or at least the first part of it. Uh, the little book we handed out are the first 18 chapters uh, of uh, the complete green letters. And so we want to spend our time looking at those 18 chapters over the next few months. Um, whether or not we can cover a chapter a week, we will see. Uh, when I was teaching it uh, with the students uh, up at uh, New Tribes, uh, we generally covered a chapter a week most times, but I had a full hour. Uh, here, uh, it ends up being more like 40 to 45 minutes, and whether or not I can do justice to it. Plus, I do want you to feel free to stop me, ask questions. Again, if you read your chapter during the week, 
you know, underline or mark anything that you may question or something you may want to talk more fully about. In fact, when we used the book in Ireland, we met with couples separately on it, and they were really good about reading the chapter in advance and marking it all up. And we'd come together and we'd just spend the night just talking uh, generally, it wouldn't be an hour. It'd probably be more like a couple hours, uh, just talking through different things that had stood out to them in the chapter and that they wanted to uh, uh, talk through. So, uh, but you know, we found again at the school it worked better for us to just take and read through the chapter together and make comment and answer ask answer questions and things as we go uh, because everybody wouldn't read the chapter in advance uh, and wouldn't come with the same kind of drive that the Irish had the Irish had a real drive to learn this and so they they were very diligent about putting in the time during the week to read and study and and be ready when we came together and so uh, I know with my students, I always used to tell them, I said, look, you've got a lot of homework. I'm not trying to put more on you. The chapters here generally are anywhere from three to five pages. Uh, most of you can read them fairly easily. I encourage you to do so, but if you don't have time to do it, show up anyhow. You'll still get something out of our time together, and, I, and I'll, I'll make the same statement uh, to you all. Uh, the chapters aren't long. Uh, <clears throat> they don't take a real long time. Uh, they do require a little bit of thought. Uh, and, you know, we've given these books out to many over the years. And some people sit down and they just read through it. And they, yeah, that was nice, you know. But if you just read through it, you really aren't going to get what's in it. You've got to take time to think about what's being said. I wouldn't. I would never recommend trying to read more than a chapter a week. I would say take a chapter. You know, think about it, pray about it, read it multiple times. You know, let the Lord use it in your in your heart and life, because these truths uh, are significant. But. You don't get them by reading this book like reading a novel. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. You've got to uh, spend some time. Uh, with Discipline by Grace, I think I've only ever tried to teach it once. It's a hard one to teach. He is the most concise writer I've ever read. You cannot do a better job of explaining things than he just did. Doesn't uh, as far as I see when I read through it, he does not waste a single word. He hasn't been taught by most uh, teachers these days. That you know, when I was at Mississippi State and taking, uh, you know, uh, what was it, the English course where we did all the writing and thing, you know, they give you a thesis statement that probably contained everything of any value in the statement and you were supposed to write 500 words on it or a thousand words on it and all it did was teach people how to be wordy uh strombach is not a wordy person 
every word is thought out. Every word is um, well chosen. And I just have never felt I could do justice uh, to really uh, teaching his, his book because he does such a good job. Again, his writing is an older style. Uh, but uh, it's worth worth taking on. Now what I want to do today, again this is kind of Labor Day weekend, there's probably a lot of people missing. I'm not going to get into the first chapter today, I'm going to give you all till next week to read it and things. What I want to do is give you an overview, kind of show you where the book is going and, uh, and kind of let you just... Uh, get this in mind before we get going. Now, next week, we're going to start in on chapter 1, chapter on faith. Incredibly important place to start. Because everything that we're going to cover in this book calls upon us to accept it by faith. All these principles that are involved in our Christian development are principles we have to accept by faith. And if we're going to have to accept them by faith, we need to understand what faith is. And that is a challenging thing in our day and age. Because the world has redefined faith. The world has defined faith in one way, and Scripture defines faith in another way. And when, when we're talking about the Christian life uh, being based on faith, we're talking about it by the biblical definition of faith, not the world's definition of faith. And, you know, I'll read a statement by uh, Richard Dawkins next week, where he defines faith. He, as this rabid uh, atheist, who defines faith as believing something that there is absolutely no evidence for. And that's the world's view. That somebody who has faith believes something that there's no evidence for. And yet, biblical faith is based upon something that there is evidence for. We'll see the very statements of God. The, the proof that He provides. And so, we have to come to understand what faith is. If we're going to become men and women of faith, we need to know what faith is. And why it's so critical to our Christian walk. I'll try to talk about why I believe faith is so important to God. Why he has made everything in the Christian life basically rest back on us accepting it by faith. So we'll start off with faith. The next chapter is on time. Another very, very important chapter. In fact, I don't think there are any unimportant chapters. Each week I'll say, this is an important chapter. But time, critical Critical in your own life, but critical if you're going to minister to others. To understand that God is not in a rush. 
that we'll see God's working from eternity and for eternity. And God is going to, He has our whole lifetime to accomplish the things He wants to accomplish in and through us. And I'll point out when we get in that, that chapter, you know, when a baby's born into this world, you know that it's going to take about 20 years for them to grow up. I know the young people on the back row are saying, well, it's 15, it's 16, it's 18. <laughs> By and large, it's 20 years or 21, somewhere in there. And we know that. And you can stunt a child's growth, but you can't accelerate it beyond a certain point. And we can be stunted as Christians if we are not fed the Word, but our growth cannot be accelerated beyond a certain point. And it's going to take time, and we've got to be patient as God works in our life, and we've got to be patient as he works in other people's lives. Jonelle and I were blessed to really be able to see God do some really significant work in the Irish believers. When we left, we felt very confident leaving them. And they've gone on to walk with the Lord. We spent nine years with them. Nine years encouraging them on. It took nine years. Now when we were at the school, we only could work with the students two years. But I said, where I, I'm thankful for the nine years we had in Ireland because it showed me that if people get on this path and they continue to walk on it, they will grow and God will bring them to maturity. And so in the two years we had them, we could lay the foundation and I knew it was a solid foundation. I knew it was a foundation that could carry them on, even though we wouldn't have the privilege of making that the rest of the journey with them. Yeah. Still, yeah. and how it gave them such a foundation. And that's no, that's no boast of us, it's a boast of the truth. Of the truth, yeah. And, uh, it, it, it's been incredibly encouraging yeah. that uh, yeah. they had grabbed hold of this and walked on it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I can speak with passion about the truths we're sharing here because I've seen the impact of it. I've been, or we've been involved in teaching these truths ever since some of the last days at FOA. We left FOA in 89. And we've been teaching these truths since then. And we have seen in our own lives and in the lives of others the impact of them. You know, I we had dinner with an... Uh, Irish pastor and his wife when we were in Ireland and we, we got to talking. At that time, men like my dad, like Linwood Bowden, others had just gone to be with the Lord. And I made the comment, I said, what has really impacted me is I've seen these men that I looked up to finish well. 
And that Irish pastor looked at me and he said, no one that I've looked up to in the Lord has finished well. I told Joe now when we left there, I said, if that were the case, I would be questioning what I had been taught. Certainly people can go, go off the rails. But if somebody is living within the truth, their lives should be growing. And the truth should produce some, someone that finishes well. And it has the capacity to do that. And we've seen the impact of these truths over time. Now, I've been a Christian for 65 years. I'm still growing. I still haven't arrived. I still have my areas of struggle. But I'm not where I was at 10 years ago. I'm certainly not where I was at 50 years ago. But it's taken time. And as we work with others, we have to keep in mind how long it took God to get us to where we're at. Because we can become unrealistic in our expectation of other believers. I mean, if I used to do a chapel on time at school, and I'd ask the student body, okay, how many of you have been a believer for five years or more? Most of their hands went up. There were a few that had only been a believer for a year or two. Well, I think I asked, how many of you have been a believer between one and five years? And there were a few whose hands went up. How many between 5 and 10, a few more, uh, went up? How many between 10 and 15, really a huge number went up? How many over 15 years? And a few. I said, okay, you, you all are living together here. But realize this, you are all, uh, you know, there are those in your midst who are newborns in Christ. And you cannot expect out of them what you would be looking for in someone who'd been a believer for 15 or more years. And years aren't enough. Somebody might have been a Christian for 15 years, but only started growing two years ago. We have to take into account where people are at. And be willing to accept them where they're at and work with them where they're at. Time is important. Chapter 3 is on acceptance. What is the basis upon which God accepts you and He accepts me? Acceptance is so critical because if we are not certain of God's acceptance, a lot of the promises He makes to, uh, to believers are meaningless. You know, if I wake up today and I wonder, does God accept me? A lot of what He says in His Word isn't really going to be meaningful. I've got to come to understand the basis of my acceptance. And we're going to see we are accepted in the Beloved. It is not our actions that bring about our accept, His acceptance of us. It is our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ that makes each and every one of us acceptable in His sight. We'll spend a, at least one class, maybe more, dealing with that. Chapter 4, Purpose. Now they're a very critical issue. 
What is God trying to achieve in your life and mine during the time we have here on earth? What is his goal for you and me? You know, a lot of believers struggle with what God is, is allowing and what God is doing. Why, God? Why are, are you allowing this? Why are you doing this? And a lot of that's because they don't have a clue what he's trying to accomplish. In fact, a lot of times they have totally wrong ideas about what he's trying to accomplish. There are those who want to say, God's goal for you is to make you healthy and wealthy. There's been a lot of disappointed people who who have bought into that one. God's not, uh, his goal isn't to make you healthy and wealthy. His goal isn't to make you successful. We're going to see when we get into that chapter, his goal is to conform you to the image of Christ. And part of the process of conforming us to image of Christ is showing us the not I part of the equation. The but Christ part of it. And that's what he gets into in the next chapter. Preparation. How does God work to prepare us to really take hold of what we have in Christ? We'll see how critical failure is in the workings of of God. Again, you know, we, we hear, uh, you know, see the verse, not I, but Christ. How do we come to the not I part? <laughs> it's through a lot of failure. Us trying to do it and being unable to do it. And hopefully brought to the point that Paul was in Romans 7. You know, a good I want to do, I can't do, Lord. The evil I don't want to do, I continually do, Lord. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. See, God used those failures on Paul's part to bring him to the point of being willing to embrace what Christ had for him. I believe everyone in this room has embraced Christ as their Savior. But God wants you to embrace Him as your life. To embrace Him as your source of everything. And you won't come to that on your own. He has to prepare you. He has to take you through. And He takes each of us down a different journey. He knows what each of us needs to bring us to a place of brokenness. Where we're ready to, you know, appropriate what He has for us in Christ. Chapter 6, complete in Him. We're going to see... That everything you and I need for life and godliness is found in Christ. Paul says, and we saw this in our study of Colossians, that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and that we are complete in Him. 
In Ephesians, he tells us that in Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Peter tells us that we have been uh, given everything necessary for life and godliness. And that we have even been made partakers of the divine nature. You and I are complete. We lack nothing. We received everything we will ever have at the moment of salvation. You might say, I don't feel real real complete. I don't look real complete. But see, your completeness will never show itself in day-to-day practice until you come to know and understand and accept who you are and what you have in Christ. By faith. You've got to know. And a lot of Christians don't have a clue. All they know is that Christ is their ticket through the gate of heaven. They have no clue who they are in God's eyes. They have no clue what they have in God's eyes. They have no clue, you know, of their completeness. I used to illustrate with my students. I said, you could have a relative who died and left you a vast fortune. But if nobody told you, it wouldn't do you any good. And if when they told you, you didn't believe it, it wouldn't do you any good. It would only do you some good if somebody told you and and you believed them and you began to look at how to take hold of it. And that's the way it is with our completeness in Christ. It's there. But we have to know of it. We have to believe it. We have to, you know, believe it's there to be taken hold of. Chapter 7 is appropriation. That's where, as we come to see our self in Christ, how do we appropriate it? How do we take hold of it? And we'll see that that is... Um, largely a ministry of the Holy Spirit. That He is the one that's going to teach us how to take hold in a practical sense of everything we have in Christ. It's going to be His work to work it into our our lives. Christ in the upper room, when He spoke about the coming of the Spirit, He said, He will take that which is mine and make it known unto you. He is going to take the things that are Christ and bring them in and teach us how to use them, how to appropriate them. Chapter 8, Identification. We're going to see that just like Christ identified with us and substituted for us there on the cross, we are identified with Him. His death is our death. His burial is our burial. His resurrection is our resurrection. His life is our life. And while pretty much all believers understand substitution... 
A whole lot do not understand identification. I taught this in Sunday school up in uh, Wisconsin. There was a woman there. She and her husband had been on the mission field for many years. And she, we went through this and she came up to me one day and she said, for the first time in my Christian life, some verses make sense. She said, you know, I've said for years, I've been crucified with Christ. <laughs> Didn't have a clue what it meant. Reckon you, you, you yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. What on earth does that mean? You died with Christ and your life is hidden with Him. What on earth? We have to understand identification to understand some of these passages. And when we understand it, it will make a huge difference. Chapter 9, consecration. (laughs) When I grew up in the area here, back then, Youth for Christ was a big thing. And I appreciate Youth for Christ, but one thing that went on a lot of times was at the end, there'd be an altar call for everyone who wanted to dedicate themselves to Christ. And everybody with a mother would walk down to the front, basically. Because you didn't want to be the two people left out in the, in the audience who didn't walk down. Everybody walk down and dedicate themselves. They're going to go out and serve the Lord. Two weeks later, there'd be another altar call and everybody would walk down and rededicate. And then re-rededicate and re-re-re-rededicate and and most of the time, whether you use dedication, consecration, whatever, we're trying to devote our old Adamic nature to serving God. And it doesn't work. It fails. Generally, you don't get out of the parking lot before you blow it. Consecration. What does God want us to consecrate to Him? He wants us to consecrate that new life that is ours in Christ. He wants us to consecrate ourselves to those who are alive from the dead. Understanding what it means to be alive from the dead. Self. Chapter 10. Again, with consecration, we get into the fact that all too often we're trying to dedicate or consecrate the self-life to Him. And we'll spend some time looking at the self-life. And it's inability to serve God. Then, self-denial. How do When we start seeing self for what it is, how do we handle it? And there's a lot of different things people try to do and have tried to do throughout history. But self will never be made acceptable unto God. The only thing that's ever going to be acceptable is the life we have in Christ. Then we come to chapter 12, the cross. And I'm running out of time. I don't know that I'll get through it all. But the cross... The cross is God's answer for the self-life. He nailed it to the cross. And He said, leave the ugly thing hanging there. I told my students, said, we have a lot of little statements in Christianity that aren't exactly accurate. 
One of them is, God wants you to give your life to Him. I said, no, He doesn't. Your life stinks. He doesn't want it. He wants you to accept His life. He's not looking for you to give your life to Him. He's looking for you to take hold of His life. To embrace it. That's God's answer. But we come up with all sorts of ways of trying to control the self-life. And pastors and psychologists and everybody will give us all sorts of things to do about the self-life. Don't work, but we can, we can exhaust ourselves trying them. But the answer is the, the cross. Discipleship. We're going to see what discipleship really is. Discipleship has to do with following Christ into the realm of this new life. Discipleship's not a lot of do this, 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 which is what a lot of discipleship programs have become. Discipleship is about becoming a follower of Christ, but not just as being a Christian. Becoming a follower of Christ in the sense of learning to follow Him into this new realm of life. And letting Him shape us into His image. Process of discipleship. Again, we'll develop that a little further. Rest. That, you know, the struggles in our Christian life are important. But they're all meant to bring us to the place of rest. And we'll talk about the rest. You know... He'll talk about the fact that, you know, struggles might bring us to the door of rest, but the key to rest is rest. (laughs) It's just learning to cease from our own self-efforts and learn to live on the basis of Christ's provision. Help. That's first, the opening of that chapter always grabs people where he, he writes, God didn't help you get saved. He doesn't intend to help you live the Christian life. God didn't help you get saved. He saved you. (laughs) And He doesn't intend to be your assistant in the Christian life. Now, depends how you use the word help. If you're using it as a rescuer, that's one thing. He's using it as an assistant. You know, uh, the way God helps those who help themselves. You know, it's kind of God's alongside as an assistant to those. No, God rescues those. Who realize they can't do it. Help. Cultivation. Again, the process of his, him developing us in Christ. Then continuance. The importance of continuing on, uh, in all of this. Now that's an overview. Next week, we'll get into, uh, faith. Uh, each of these chapters we'll look at in depth and hopefully it'll have a huge impact on you. So if any of you didn't get books, get them. If you know somebody who needs one that's going to be attending the class, feel free to take one to them. Again, we bought enough for everyone. And if we need to get more, we'll get more. Uh, but we just want you each to have your own that you can mark up. And, and uh, you know, when we're going through it here, uh, can follow along. So, okay, let me have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the... For Miles Stanford, a man you used to touch many, many lives. I know you touched Jonelle and my through uh, me through his 
writings. You touched my mom and dad. Lord, you've touched many of the men who were in leadership here in the past. Uh, Conrad Bowman, Charlie Jones. Uh, Lord, these were men who who uh, uh, these truths impacted. And Lord, I pray that you would just let me be an instrument in your mighty hands to uh, open these chapters uh, to those who are here. And Lord, may they be blessed by the precious truths we'll be considering in the weeks ahead. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.